And then, and I'm, this is over a course of several weeks when he went on a regular basis. And then somebody started swaying, and then somebody else started dancing. And then others started chanting in response. And then many people started dancing, and then several people followed him back to where he was living. And he started giving classes about the chanting and about the philosophy of how to practice the system called bhakti yoga. And then within 12 years, he was able to establish 108 spiritual centers around the world. And thousands of people took up the process of chanting. So there's something in the mantra that's unusual. He didn't present it with any particular um, tune, just something very simple. And there were no extra instruments. It was just uh, rhythm, percussion. I think he used his hands and then he had later some cartols and a bongo drum. But that's how, how it all started. So the power is in the mantra and all you have to do is chant it. So I'm going to try that out and see if we can't start some international movement from this little storefront. What do you think? Okay, let's, let's see what happens. So first I'll say a, a couple of introductory prayers. It's a way to enter into the mantra. The first two are to my guru, my spiritual teacher, and then the, the third one is to Sri Chaitanya Mahaprabhu, who brought the mantra to the world and introduced everyone to this simple process of bhakti yoga. Nama Om Vishnu Padaya Krishna Prashtaya Bhutale Srimate Bhaktivedanta Swami Niti Namine Namaste Saraswati Devi Gauravani Prashami Nirvishesha Shunivadi Paschatya Dejatarine Jaya Sri Krishna Chaitanya Prabhu Nityananda Shri Advaita Gadadhara, Shivasadi Gauravakta And now I'll chant the Maha Mantra, which has three words in it Hare Krishna Rama. So Hare, you can try that, Hare. means oh, the energy of the divine. And Krishna means the all attractive source of everything, who's personal and who's all benevolent. And the third, say Krishna. And then Rama. Rama. Rama means the highest spiritual pleasure. And that's uh, what we're all seeking is the highest spiritual pleasure. So those go, it all goes in this mantra, and I'll say two words at a time. If you like, you can repeat. Hare Krishna. Hare Krishna. Hare Krishna. Hare Krishna. Krishna Krishna. Krishna Krishna. Hare Hare. Hare Hare. Hare Rama. Hare Rama. Hare Rama. Rama Rama. Hare Hare. And now I'll say the whole mantra, and if you'd be so kind, listen, and then repeat back as a group, and we'll go back and forth, and just try to be open to the, to the vibration and let it come into your, into your ears, and you can sort of uh, bathe in this spiritual sound vibration for a little while, okay? Hare Krishna, Hare Krishna, Krishna Krishna, Hare Hare, Hare Rama, Hare Rama, Rama Rama, Hare Hare. great opportunity. There, there are many um, instances throughout history where um, there have been monumental discussions that have taken place. One of them that comes to mind immediately is a discussion that took place 5,000 years ago in a forest called Naimasharnya, which is said to be in the dead center of the universe because our planet, according to Vedic 
teachings is right in the middle of the universe, but dead center on the planet in the middle of the universe, Nagmasharnya. And there, a group of high-minded people came together, and there was a question, which was, how can we do the best for the most people? Not just people, actually living entities. They, they saw these sages, high-minded spiritual practitioners, that every entity, every living entity is important. The conscious being is an emanation from the divine source, Krishna. And there's a way in which when we get connected as conscious beings to material energy, we can get a little confused and start thinking that I'm also material. Did you ever think like that? Yeah, that's a bummer. So there's a way in which when I think I'm my body, then I start to think that actually I'm going to die and I'm getting old. And there, there are unlimited ways in which we can be in anxiety when we think of our bodies. So the sages thought about ways in which to spread knowledge to people around the world so they could better themselves. And that was a conversation that took place. And it started with a series of questions. Questions, if you think about it, are very important. The, the word question comes from the word quest. And according to the etymological dictionary, quest is a search for the Holy Grail. That's the, like the original quest. Looking for something that's so valuable, so important for immortality for a way to connect to our highest potential in life. It's the purpose of the question, actually. And if you think about it in punctuation, the question mark is the most powerful of all punctuation marks. I mean, periods, you can stop the sentence and say stop here. A comma, what would you say your comma's for? Pause. Pause. Yeah, a little pause. And what about semicolon? Poor semicolon. Introducing an, a new idea that's contingent with the other with another idea. And introducing a list that can hold it together. There's the colon, one of my favorites. But then there comes the mighty question mark. If you ever noticed, if you write somebody a letter, people don't write letters, an email and you put a question mark in it somewhere, they're obligated to write you back. But if you don't, they don't have to. According to modern rhetoricians, whoever's asking the questions is leading the conversation. Extremely powerful questions. And the quality of our questions determines the quality of our lives. So I can get in the habit of asking bad questions. Were you gonna say something? Oh, I was going to offer to buy a mic for the center here. <laughs> uh, one that will be less than I, Since I said that, I'm, I still like to contribute. I'd like to donate enough to, for you can buy another mic. So you can take me up on that afterwards. So the quality of our questions determines the quality of our lives. Everyone would say that. Quality of our I just figured I'd give you that in case I don't say anything else useful the rest of the time. That, that'll, that'll help. And also remember the question is something that can open up for us the, the great secrets within our own hearts, within the universe, and so forth. And if we ask the right questions, everything can become known to us. This is one of the great mysteries of the world. If you ask and especially if you direct your, your questions to a person who has knowledge, you're going to get some power, and you do it in the right mood, the right attitude, and you approach in the right way, you'll get for free a wealth of powerful information. And mystically, even if you don't have somebody directly in front of you or available to ask, if you just, as people like to say, ask the universe, <laughs> you just 
put your question uh, out to, to the world, so to speak, and say, you know, who am I? Where do I come from? What's the answer to life? Those questions will be answered also. Questions are so powerful. So when we start to notice what questions we're, we're asking ourselves and asking others and become aware that we can ask better questions, then we can immediately improve our lives. It's very uh, practical and you can start using it tonight itself. So there are four questions that I'd like to offer for, to you tonight for your, for your use. And the first question is, what's my purpose? Everyone say that. How do you feel now? Feel okay? If you ask yourself what's your purpose, well, why don't you try asking somebody outside what's your purpose? Could somebody try it? Just go out and ask anybody as they're walking along and see what they tell you. Any volunteers? Yeah. Dominar? Dominar Smart? Somebody? Okay. Just do it and come right back and see what they say. Just real simple. Don't spend a half hour. <laughs> what if you ask yourself, what's my purpose? What might you do? How would you feel? A little thoughtful, maybe. If you take a legal pad and a pen and you sit down and you say, what's my purpose? And you start writing down your purposes. One of the ways that I find is helpful to, to do this is to write down your priorities. It's in the same ken. So if you uh, say, what are my priorities? And then you start writing them down. How'd it go? How'd it go? He said it's difficult to ask. Answer. It's okay. very difficult. Yeah, it is. Answer, long answer. Nothing. <laughs> my purpose is to develop the greatest love in my heart for all living beings. And that's why I'm here. Would you like to come in? Is he here? Okay. <laughs> what is your name? Bakta Original. Buck oh, you're a Bakta Original. <laughs> now I see why the name. Haribo, I owe you a call. Well, thank you, Bakta Original. Well, it is difficult. And if you ask anybody on the street, go to a baseball game, stand outside. So what's your purpose? Uh, you'll find that people don't think about it that much. In fact, if you ask yourself, you might find that you don't think about it that much. And when's the last time you wrote down all your priorities? But I guarantee you this, when you do ask yourself and you start writing some things down, you'll feel a change in yourself. It gives you a sense that I have somewhere to go. And when you start putting priorities down, you, you'll start thinking about what order they go in also. Let's just say you wrote three or five or 10. It's a little hard just to write a couple, I find. But if you start writing them down, you'll notice that they, they call to you. And you really have to, or you, you'll be compelled or impelled to think about what order they go in. And as you're doing that, you might come to a higher level of awareness of what your life's for. No, not that you might. You definitely will by asking the question. So you can use this yourself to ask, uh, what's my purpose? Why am I doing what I'm doing? And when you, when you develop that, you'll have uh, energy and you'll feel that you're, um, <clears throat> when you wake up in the morning, you'll feel, I know where I'm going. I know what my priorities are. And before I go to the next question, let's expand this conversation just a little bit by taking a few uh, reflections, or you can ask a question about it. We've, we've done a, a focus group, Bhakti Original, started by asking one subject, what is your purpose? And he said, it's a little difficult. Did our subject. What do you all think about the first question, and how does it make you feel? Work with me, people. Yes? I really love the priority um, idea, and, you know, say 10, it's hard to put them in order, and it's hard to keep them in balance, and it's hard to, like, figure out what order they should go in, because some things are tugging on you. 
so hard. So that's what I think of when I think about making my priority list. I'm like, how do I do it so that it's like from top down? I had the same experience. I, I sat down at the very beginning of the pandemic because I thought, well, might as well think about what my life's for. <laughs> and one of the topics, and you said, you know, how, how do I order it? Where do, how do I come to it? Remember I mentioned the conversation that took place at Naimasharanya with the sages? Well, in that context, it's called Srimad Bhagavatam. It's ancient wisdom literature that gives all the, the secrets of spiritual practice. And in it, there's a king named Parikshit. And he's called a Raja Rishi. A Rishi means somebody who's spiritually accomplished. And Raja means king. So back then, uh, polit politicians like kings, they were actually supposed to be, uh, have high morals, be self-controlled and so forth. I mean, imagine when you have a leader like that, how the people feel enlivened. And so the king, once when he was in the forest, was uncharacteristically overcome by a sense of thirst. So he went into the hermitage of a sage who was meditating. And uncharacteristically, the king became angry because the sage didn't greet him. And suddenly he had this surge of a sense of entitlement that I'm the king. Why didn't he greet me? Again, this is very uncharacteristic. It was providential. And in his sense of indignation, the king walked out of the hermitage, which was just a little straw hut. He saw this dead snake lying on the ground, so he picked it up with his bow, and he brought it back in, and he hung it around the neck of the sage and walked out otherwise known as road rage. <laughs> if this surge comes up and you feel like, why I oughta? And then you, you do something like that. And then this was at a time when there were mystic mystics who had some actual power through speech. And the sage wasn't disturbed at all by this when he found out what had happened. But the sage's son was just a budding youth and he was playing with his friends at the time, and he heard about it, that his father had been insulted by the king. So he uttered a curse. Because he was related to this, the culture at that time, and he had, he had some of this mystic power. So his words had meaning. That I curse this king to die in seven days. And he'll be bitten by this, a magical creature called a snake bird. He just made it up. And he said it, but he held sway because it held his words held sway because of the, the rarefied atmosphere of the time. So the king was already back at his kingdom and he found out that he had been cursed seven days to live. So he immediately took off his royal dress, put on some very simple clothes. And he went down to a sacred river called the Ganges, and he sat down with the intention of finding out his ultimate purpose. Hey, that's a, a time. Have you ever had these moments where you realize that you don't have all the time in the world? Oftentimes I think, oh, I'll just live forever. You ever think like that? Nobody? Yes. Okay, about five people. <laughs> And have you ever had a situation where you felt, if I ever get out of this one, I'll be good from now on? Yes. <laughs> and these are teachable moments. The king had that sense that, okay, now I have seven days. I have to know exactly what I'm supposed to do with the last seven days of my life. So he, he inquired, and a lot of people came. Have you ever had a cold? And then 10 people each told you how to cure it because their grandmother had a cure. Everyone's a doctor, right? So the, many people came and they all gave their separate advice about what he should do. And there was a cacophony of voices at that time. But then the most revered, or I should say self-effulgent of all sages, he was 16 years old at the time, 
just happened to wander into the assembly and everyone recognized that here's the most qualified person to speak to the king. So everyone stood up. So this is one of the principles. When a, a, a person who's highly elevated spiritually comes into an assembly, you're supposed to stand up and to show respect. So that's what they all did. And then they invited him to sit on the seat of esteem so that he could teach. And then the king asked this question. He said, what's my purpose at the time of death? What am I supposed to do? So when I was thinking about my priorities and wondering, well, how will I order them? This story of the Bhagavatam came to my mind. How can I be prepared for death? Now, if you put that one on top of your list, definitely going to be a different, you'll be in a different mindset. You go for a holiday gathering. It's like everyone's, what do you want to talk about? Let's talk about death <laughs> and what to do about it. Killjoy. <laughs> it's, not a, it's not a major topic, although it is perhaps the most pressing of all issues, isn't it? Psychologist, I, I read once, said that everything humans do in society basically is a distraction, so they don't have to think about that one. Interestingly, however, if you confront it, if you actually write it on the page and say, my purpose is to come to terms with death, what is it, and how do I deal with it? It's liberating. So you know, like, have you ever had a number of things to do and some of them were more difficult than others and you did the easy ones first? You ever do that? Yes. Please say yes, otherwise I'll, I'll feel terrible because that's what, how I live. No. So, <laughs> however, if you're able to muscle your way in and say, I'm going to do the hardest thing first, then how do you feel? Yeah, it releases this energy like, wow, I'm happy. Now I can do anything. Everything else is easy. Everything else is easy when you deal with this question first. What's my purpose? And there are volumes written about it by very advanced spiritual teachers that say how to prepare for death. And if that's one of the ways when you get into this conversation with yourself and you ask, what's my purpose? And you start writing these things down. You, you become a different person. You reorder your life. And then you'll start giving up things that don't relate to what your purpose is. It's, it's a very strong force. Let's take a couple more reflections. And I'll try to keep aware of the fact that this is not a three-hour class. Okay. Yes. Hey. Good to see you. I appreciate how you said that it's best to write the answer to this question down rather than just pondering it. Yeah. I... Intuitively, I think that's because it, it like makes your thoughts more concrete. Yeah. You can analyze them better when they're on the page. Yeah. Is that, have you ever heard the phrase, get it in writing? Yeah. yeah. So you get it in writing oftentimes because people later on say, no, I didn't really say that. Like, no, it's in writing. <laughs> you wrote it down. And so oftentimes people, when they're doing a contract with somebody else, they'll write down or it'll be in the fine print that, this person is in their right state of mind and they knew what they were doing when they wrote this. Because later, like, no, they always crazy. So, no, he's in the right state of mind. So when we're in our, when we have a, a clear moment, a teachable moment, and we're able to realize our existential situation and then write it down, later on we'll come back and visit it and say, oh yeah, now I'm, maybe I'm distracted, but this is what my purpose is. Writing is very powerful. It's an abstraction of speech and of thought, and when we put it down, we can revisit it, we can also put it in front of us, and then have something to motivate us, like, where am I going? Something very powerful about writing. One more, and I'll go to the next question. There's much, much more here. Yes? When I think, what's my purpose? I have, I, my brain splits between a list of material purposes and a list of spiritual purposes. Yes. So he said, when I think of my purpose, my brain splits between material purposes and spiritual purposes. So this is how it's defined in the, the ancient wisdom literatures, how, how to deal with that conundrum. It is a conundrum, as I mentioned in the outset of this talk, that we're, we're spiritual beings, but we're residing in a material body. Well, guess what? You can't just neglect your material body. You, you need it. It's your car. It's your ride. 
you have to get around. And so the Srimad Bhagavatam says, Kamasya Nendriya Pritir Labo Jiviti Avata, Jivasya Tattva Jignasya Narto Yascheha Karma B, which means that you're, you have a right to, to take care of yourself and be, you need to have uh, um, vitality. You have to have vitality. So you should keep your body and mind vital and take what you need for that. And then and it says the reason that you need that is so that you can inquire more about the absolute truth. So figure out how to use, how to take care of yourself, your material obligations in such a way that you have a good amount of time so that you can practice your spiritual uh, t the spiritual tenets so you can make advancement so the two go hand in hand and it's then very good to write down both of them and figure out how to do that as long as you have the ratio correct so to put it in a simple way eat to live don't live to eat does that make sense? I'm living just to eat. Or I eat so I can live. And why do you live? So that you can make spiritual advancement. So you balance it like that. There's a lot to be said about that. And there's a, there's a whole culture, a, a way of life. That's why people live in ashramas. Shrama means hard work for no result. Does that sound familiar? <laughs> I mean, you got nothing to show for at the end. It's like, why'd you work so hard? They ask people when they're about to die. It's like, hey, I, just, I, I wish I didn't work so hard. I, I should have spent more time with my family. I should have loved people more. I should have, should have, should have, should have. You know, that's called shrama. Shrama means hard work for, for no tangible result. It just evaporates, ultimately. You lost everything along with the body. And ashrama, everyone say ashrama. Ashram. Not ashram, but ashrama. <laughs> ashrama means the opposite. You're purposeful. Everything you do has a purpose. It's, it's going somewhere. You're getting something out of it. It's an investment in you, the spiritual being in the body. Ashrama. So there are ashramas. You create a situation where you can engineer your own life. So you're getting something out of it. And you block out all the distractions. Gradually, you, you come down to this point where you're just focused on my purpose. And that's happy life. Really happy life. We can attest to it. I lived in a Brahmachari ashrama for 13 years. Didn't have any money. Didn't have uh, credit. Had no possessions. I remember in the beginning, we had lived in an ashram. I didn't even have my own clothes. It was public bin you just take out. <laughs> and you know what? That's really blissful. <laughs> Remember the first time I figured out you got to pay for a phone or an apartment or things like that later on in life. And uh, it's quite um, burdensome, actually, the things we take on. Anyway, everyone, no matter where you live, no matter how many things you have, you can organize them in such a way that you're living towards your purpose. And that's why you should write both things on the, on the page. Thank you. That was such a helpful question. Now I'm going to tell you the second question, which is life-changing. And you can use it anytime, any place, and you'll notice that you'll have a change in consciousness instantly. And you'll, you'll um, feel yourself connected to the Supreme. Should I tell you? Yes. I don't think you really want to know, though. Yes. All right. Okay, so the second question is, how may I be of service? How may I be of service? Now, everyone, please say that. How may I be of service? Now turn to somebody next to you and say it. How may I be of service? How did that feel? <laughs> like, are you nervous? A little nervous? <laughs> I mentioned Sri Chaitanya Mahaprabhu, I think, earlier. He taught the process of bhakti yoga. He gave basic philosophy that we can live with, that, that we can live by. And 
the first tenet of the philosophy that he gave to his student, Sanatan Goswami, was that our nature is to serve. And that's called our dharma. It's something we can't take away from ourselves. So the, I'm going to give you a little uh, IQ test. You ready? Yes. Only three people? Yes. Come on, be brave now. <laughs> we won't judge. Okay. Sugar is? Sweet. Chilies are? Hot. <laughs> yeah, it's spicy hot. Uh, let's see, what else? Uh, water is? Is this a trick question? Fluid. Uh, sometimes it's not. That's unnatural. Liquid. You can go on with uh, various elements. They have a nest to them. N-E-S. Like, uh, there's a, they have an intrinsic quality that you can't take away from it. And if you do, then you're going to be disappointed. And you're, it's not the same thing. So we have an intrinsic nature that's always there, said Chaitanya Mahaprabhu. It's that we're servants. To serve, when we serve, selflessly, we become happy and we feel aligned. There are different levels of service or motivation for service. One level is out of fear. I serve out of fear. Is that possible? Yeah, yeah. yeah it's possible. Then the next level higher is called prospect. What do I get for this? Are you familiar with this kind of service? Yes. Where did you see it before? Somebody's serving you. Let's say somebody's serving you, and then if you don't pay them, you're not going to get your service. A restaurant. <laughs> if they're really nice to you somewhere, and they give you service, and then underlying there's a sense like, God, if I don't pay, though, they're, they're not going to keep doing it, right? So this is prospect. Uh, somebody might be expecting it from you or you from them. And then above that is duty. You're serving out of duty. Have you ever seen that before? Yes. Does it seem more noble to you than prospect? Yeah. Just naturally? kind of is, isn't it? Somebody did their duty. They might actually go be in the history books. Such and such did it, their duty. And they served. And then... The highest motivation, and it's above even duty, is love. Love. So there's different levels of, of service. So the, the mantra, or the question to ask yourself, how can it be a service, or to have, ask other people, aligns you in service. And if you can refine your service and come to this point of selfless service, you're doing out of love, then you'll be connected uh, to the divine in a very practical way by doing service and so have you ever been in a in an assembly somewhere like let's say a home gathering with your family and you felt a little out of place yes. Yes. like sometimes it'd be awkward right go home for thanksgiving and uh, you didn't really want to see all these people necessarily you know it's kind of you should go home but you didn't really feel like it and then everyone's doing various things that seem uh, maybe even trivial. I'm just painting a scenario. It's a possib possibility, right? And, and you sort of feel uh, awkward and out of place, right? Yes. Are you with me so far? Yes. Work with me now. Okay, so now if you go into that situation and you say this mantra, how may it be of service? Say it again. How may it be of service? You'll notice right away that you change from just being the odd person out or feeling that uh, every, everything seems out of place. Suddenly you'll feel aligned. Someone will say, oh yeah, you can help over here. And let's just say you start moving chairs. All of a sudden everyone looks at you different like, hey, you're an insider. You're doing service here. You're moving chairs. You're doing something. This applies everywhere. When you're the servant, when you come into any situation and ask, how can I be of service? Then you'll notice that you suddenly come into the inside. And when you find out how to do service that's what's called unmotivated and uninterrupted, and you direct it towards your original divine source, Krishna, then you're living in the perfection of life. This is Chaitanya Mahaprabhu's teaching. And you can try this 
uh, in times when you feel out of place, you can come back into place by remembering, I'm a servant, I'm trying to serve. Have you ever felt that people don't give you enough service? Yes. Yeah. Uh, can you give any examples? Like you can think of a place, you're thinking like the service is terrible here somewhere? DMV. DMV? <laughs> That's funny because I just told Nirkula the other day that I had an excellent experience at our local DMV. I said, God, they've gotten so organized. I can't believe it. Uh, but the DMV, yeah, that could happen. DMV, anywhere else? Friendships, you're not getting enough service and so forth. Well, if you try this mantra on yourself and say, well, how can I, how may I be of service? You'll notice that the energy changes. I notice it all the time. If I'm starting to feel annoyed, because like, how come they're not serving hard enough? Why isn't the service better? And I think, well, why don't you be the servant? Why don't you just take the safe position, the, the position where you're lined up and just say, hey, wait a minute, I'm the servant here. I'm serving you, not you serving me. I'm going to serve. Then you change the equation right away by this uh, mood of service and asking the question, how may it be a service? It engages you right away. Um, I'm going to take a couple of reflections and questions, but before I do, I'd like everyone just to stand up for one minute and stretch your hands into the air. And you can web your fingers together and then Push your palms towards the ceiling and let all blood flow through your body. Take a deep breath. Reach your hands up high and say, Go Runga! Go Runga! Okay, put your hands down and reach up one more time and say a little louder, Go Runga! Go Runga! Put your hands down, reach up one more time and say, Go Runga! Okay. Now, we'll just take a couple of quick reflections. Anything about service or a question you want to ask to expand? Yes. Also thinking about the first question as well, something that I've been afraid of lately is if I view my purpose to be, say, like a, a high level versus the service that I want to do. Oh. It's also Hand this to him. Mr. Mike. Mike? I can speak up. No, no, it's going live broadcast. Okay. Just hold it in your hand near you. You don't have to hold your mouth here. Okay, sweet. Um, what I'm trying to say is I'm afraid that the level of service that I want to be doing, especially in the future, what if, you know, what if that's not what Krishna's what path I have, you know, what Krishna has in store for me. That scares me. Um, you know, I, I want to like help in a massive way. Come see me after. You know, the thing is, if you, if you have that desire, you want to do Oh yeah, I better get the mic back. <laughs> is this, can I comment on this part? I was just appreciating your, your mood. If you have that mood of, I want to serve in a massive way, what, what I've noticed is if you start off with finding somebody who's doing what, you, what your ideal is, they have some service. Usually you get service from somebody. Somebody's already gotten service, especially in the spiritual line. Uh, somebody, the service gets passed down. It's, a, it's actually a coveted uh, gift. It's a bequeathment that comes down to us from those who have received service, spiritual service. It's a rarefied substance. So if you can find somebody anywhere in the world walking around and say, I want to serve like that. I wish I could do something. Then this is actually how the whole spiritual system works. Then you go and approach the person and say, excuse me, but I'd like to serve you and I'd like to get some service from you and do what you're doing. And if you even get the tiniest service from such a person, they say, okay, tell you what, you can do this. That'll grow. All the Christians incarnations grow. You know that? There's one called Vamanadev. He comes as a tiny little dwarf and then, and then he grows to the size of the universe. Matsya is a fish. He grows 
size bigger than the ocean and so forth. And that's how service goes also. And my uh, spiritual teacher, Prabhupada, when he first met his teacher, he was a little um, unsure about the whole exchange. Well, one of his friends, uh, uh, unsure about the meeting, but one of his friends brought him and said, no, no, you have to meet this person. And my teacher bowed down to this elderly teacher. And before he could actually sit back up in his seat, the teacher was telling him, you should spread this knowledge all over the world. And he was shocked, but it already went in. And he said, wow. <laughs> and he thought about it for a long time, and then he did it. And it, it was like a seed that grew in his heart. So this is one of the ways that you get that service, and then you, then, then you can take it up wholeheartedly. I think you were going to say something else, too, and I sort of unceremoniously took your mic. You want to continue it? Are you good? I think, I think you answered that pretty well. I did. Okay, good. No, I'm very certain about it, too. Very certain. That's exactly how it was. Okay, anybody else have one more question? Because I have two more questions for you, Dick. Oh, yes. Right behind you, straight back. Raise your hand. Thank you. Um, I, uh, I just wanted to share a reflection about uh, uh, this question. Uh, when, uh, when the highest level of service is out of love, I, I think that that's... Uh, like love is unlimited. You, you can ultimately get over a fear. Um, material prospects are material, so they're going to run out. And, um, you know, a duty can be fulfilled, but you don't uh, reduce the love that you have by uh, sharing it. Yeah, I love so. that. It's really powerful. Uh, if somebody uh, does some service for you out of love, it's very difficult to repay. If somebody does something for you out of prospect, it's not so hard. You know, you just pay it back. If someone does it out of duty, much higher level. But out of love, it's unlimited. And there, there's actually no way you can pay it. And this is the competition that goes on amongst those who are only motivated by love. They keep expanding their service and it expands unlimitedly when you're in the realm of doing service for love. Excellent point. Thank you for bringing that out. I'm going to move on because this is not a three-hour class. <laughs> I'm used to three-hour classes. Okay. Uh, uh, you want to make a point? Uh, kind of. Yes, what please do. Uh, Here comes the mic. Okay. <laughs> I, meet a, I meet a lot of young people who are like, I don't know what to do with my life. I don't know what I like. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, they should. They should come to things like this. I think it'd be great. But what a good thing to say to them, what I'm hearing is find some way to be of service and then you will find something that you want to do with your life. That is very helpful, yes. In the Bhagavad Gita, I'll take the mic back. In the Bhagavad Gita, Krishna talks about levels of entry into practice and one of the levels of entry he said go find some service somewhere if you don't know what, what you're doing in life or, or how to do it start start by going and finding some service and just do it because just from serving anywhere uh, uh, like a volunteer spirit i'm just going to do this service for service i don't want anything in return he said you'll start to feel the light of knowledge come into your heart when you give when you give you grow we're givers actually we're service givers that's our eternal gig actually <laughs> and when when we when we learn to do that and expand it then everything becomes clear so yes that's one of the ways if you don't have anything specific then just find a place to start serving and you'll notice that it'll grow in your life and things will come into alignment. That's why this question is so important. Okay, I'm going to move on. The next one, this is a little hard, but you're up for it, right? Yes. You don't even know what it is, but you're ready to go. Okay, here we go. What's the lesson? Oh, okay, try say it. What's the lesson? Yeah, so 
the default mode, which is the opposite of that, is why did this happen to me? Why me? Why me? Why me? Why me? So one of the main teachings of the Srimad Bhagavatam is learn to ask in every incident, every, not just the good ones or not just the things you think you can tolerate, but every instance, learn how to come to this point of asking what the lesson is and whatever happens to you. Because when you do that, then it opens your mind to a much bigger reality. And that is that this world is a classroom. Everything that happens to us is for our improvement. And whatever kind of rough edges we feel in this world, anyone, anyone? Yes. Only three people, rough edges. I'm going to come move in with you. Where are you? Okay. <laughs> this is cosmic sensitivity training. Whatever uh, is coming to us in our life. And if, if we're able to ask this question, it's not easy to ask in times when we have a reversal. You just lost something really important to you. Can you say it? What's the lesson? But is it hard? Yes. You bet it is. But is it rewarding? Oh, yes. It's so powerful because when you ask a question, the question opens up your mind and your heart and you start realizing that there's something that's meant to happen uh, that I'm supposed to get from this. I'll just tell you a quick story and then I'll give the last question. I was gardening one day in our backyard, Burlingame, California. Fine spring day. Windows are open in the house and a little bird flew in through the back window in the kitchen. Wild birds in houses, not good. So I went in to free my little bird friend. It was a finch. Some of the nicest little birds on the planet. And when I got into the kitchen, and I opened up an extra window. Bird was frightened and flew into the next room, thinking that I was after him. So I opened all the windows in the next room. And then he was sure I was after him. So he went to the next room and the next room and the next room. And it went through this chase scene through the whole house. He thought came all the way back into the kitchen. He perched himself up on the crown molding and then he looked down at me and then he saw the window. I could see it was all happening. And he had this look in his eye, which was, you tried to kill me, but now I see my exit route. And he flew out. I put my heart and soul and try to save him. I love little finches. And I sat down, not physically exhausted, but emotionally. I had this image of myself as the little bird and there's all these windows opening for me all the time, but I take it as an affront. Someone's trying to get me. They're trying to ruin my, they're trying to kill me like that little bird. I thought I am that bird. And there's a way in which I move around in this world in this misconception that I'm, I'm being pursued and I'm, I'm being punished or I'm being, inordinately uh, given reversals that I didn't deserve. But I can realign by asking what's the purpose. Want to ask it again? What's the oh, no, I'm sorry. By what's the lesson? What is the lesson? The lesson, if you try to take it from every circumstance and keep asking it, then you'll notice that your life becomes an enriching experience at every moment, even in reversals. And Here's another one, a little mantra that goes, kind of goes with it. And I heard it in a radio interview one day. He said, I'm keeping that. It's, I live to be corrected. You want to say that one? I live to be corrected. Want to turn to somebody next to you and say it? I live to be corrected. Yeah, now say it to your spouse or your parents or whatever and see how you feel. <laughs> yeah, it's a little hard, right? Because I don't want to be corrected. I just want to do what I want to do. But if you live to be corrected, it's a different experience altogether. And so, uh, let's just see, any reflection or question? Yes. I was just thinking, I think part of the big problem with that kind of victim mentality is it makes 
you seem like you're going nowhere in life. It just seems like everything's a chaotic happenstance. But when you actually ask that question, what is the lesson? It gives a, some, like a sense of divine order to your life, like it's moving forward. Yeah, and there is divine order in our life. But I miss it and, until I'm able to actually ask this question. And in fact, as I mentioned before, it's one of the main teachings in the Srimad Bhagavatam. It's a, it's a famous Sanskrit verse. It says, Tatenu kampam susamikshamanu bunjana evatmakritam vipakam ridvagbapur vir viradam namaste jibeta yomuti padesadai bhak, which means, ask, what's the lesson? When anything happens to you, keep asking, what's the lesson? What am I meant to learn from this? Rather than going for the default mode, that I didn't deserve this, why is it happening to me? And the fourth question for a better life is to ask, what's the most important investment of my attention right now? We are units of attention, and where attention goes, where our attention goes, our energy will flow. Whatever we put our attention on right now, you can guarantee that's where we're going. In the Bhagavad Gita, Krishna talks about the ways that we get stuck in the world. He says, Jayato Visham Pum Sam What this means is when you look around the world and you look at material things and you think that I'm going to own and control these, then you develop a Sangha with them. They become your things. Just like if somebody has a car, anybody have a car? Yes. You have cars here in Los Angeles? Two people only? Okay, let's just say you parked it out here. We're in. Uh, Denver a few weeks ago and we were sitting in a very peaceful meditative class and there was a huge car accident outside smash smash everyone was okay I'm surprised from the from the way it uh, sounded but um, let's just say we're sitting here and your car you parked it out here what is your name Amanda, Amanda you parked your car out here we hear smash smash and Amanda thinks it's my car so she gets up. Well, how would you feel? I think I'd first be worried if somebody was hurt. Okay, that's good. And then, <laughs> what if it was your car? Like you, the, you could tell it was like in the area where you were hit. I have insurance. Okay, I'm going to pick somebody else. <laughs> yeah, how do you feel? I don't have insurance. Okay, now you're talking. <laughs> All right. No assurance, not covered. And so, any physical symptoms? Just like from sitting smash, it's your car, no insurance. How do you feel sitting there? Any symptoms? Yeah, maybe like an like a anxiety, like hot sweat kind of thing. Yeah, hot sweat, palpitation. Okay, what's your name? Kier. Kier runs to the window, he looks out, and it's not his car, actually. He thought it was. So how does he feel now? Relief. Much better. It was Amanda's car. <laughs> but she doesn't care, so. <laughs> so the thing is, <laughs> a car is a car. It's a thing. But some cars, or a car, that's my car, is a problem for me. Because I have a connection to it, a sangha. So where I place my attention in this world, and I say, these are my things, and whatever I invest myself into, that's where I'm going, and that's what's, what has a hold on me. So the teaching is, in the Bhagavad Gita, learn how to transfer your attention to the place where you get the best ROA. You know what an ROI is, right? Return on investment? It's an investing term. So you have to look for the best ROA, return on your attention. So where are you going to put your attention? Where are you going to invest it where you get the best thing back? So to make things simple, in the Bhagavad Gita, there's a way in which when you're able to focus your attention on Krishna, Krishna is the root of all existence, according to the yoga teachings. And what happens when you water the root of a tree? Another IQ test. What? It grows, it waters the whole tree, all the leaves and branches get satisfied. It's the right thing to do. So there is a place, a way to direct your attention so you get the best return on your attention. And when you feel like you're going in the wrong direction, 
remember to reinvest your attention in the right place. And you can do it from moment to moment. And remember, the, uh, the best place is in Krishna. And there's a way to do that that's very practical. And we started with it in the beginning. Sri Chaitanya Mahaprabhu taught the best way to reorder your attention and bring it to the root of existence is by uh, repeating this mantra called the Maha Mantra. And it brings your mind right back to the center of everything. And that's Krishna. And the mantra goes like this. Hare Krishna. Hare Krishna. Krishna Krishna. Hare Hare. Hare Rama. Hare Rama. Rama Rama. Hare Hare. So you got four questions. Let's just name them and then we'll finish. Number one. What's my purpose? Does anybody want to go home and try writing down your priorities and then come up with an idea of what your purpose is? Yes. Okay, 13 people said yes. Okay, <laughs> number two question. How can I be of service? Anybody want to try that? Yes. Okay, third question. What's the lesson? What's the lesson? Do you feel comfortable with using that? Yes. Okay, and the fourth question? It's a little... Right now. Yeah, from moment to moment, you can ask right now, what's the best investment of my attention? And if you take these four questions with you and try them out, you'll notice that by asking questions, it'll take you on a journey, it'll take you to where you want to go, and you'll be realigned with your uh, spiritual nature, and you'll be connected. It'll be a kind of yoga, a connection to, to the Supreme. Om Tat Sat, that means the end. Thank you very much. Oh, he's over there. Okay. First of all, on, on behalf of all of us here at Mantra House, uh, we want to thank you and your whole team for being here with us tonight here at Mantra House. And we're wondering how we can stay in touch with you. Um, if anybody here has any questions they want to ask, um, I want to be able to plug you in to this great personality uh, by Sheshika Prabhu. How we can stay in touch with you, and when will you come back to Mantra House? Um, because we really miss your, your personal association. Thank you. I'm deeply touched. Uh, here's my card. What's the name of your YouTube channel, Prabhu? A YouTube channel, yeah. That's actually a more modern way to do it, right? <laughs> a YouTube channel? What is that? It's Fan the Spark. Silicon Valley. Yeah, I got a few places, but one of them is. Um, is Facebook still a thing? Yeah. Only one person <laughs> half-heartedly said, "Yeah, uh, <laughs> not so much." Huh? So, okay, yeah, on YouTube, Fan the Spark. Fan the Spark. My name is on the card, and we have programs there. And also, it's kind of Silicon Valley. I congregate there at Iskana Silicon Valley, so every once in a while we have videos out of there. And, you know, my name, there's, there's a few places. So thank you for asking. And when are we coming back, Nirakula? She makes all the schedule. I just go wherever she decides. Uh, some, sometime really soon. I think this is a, an extremely um, enriching and important uh, assembly that that you've created here Hari Bhakta it's just amazing you've been steady at it for years and frankly this is the most for, for me it's the most enriching and important uh, kind of assembly is to meet with um, smallish groups and have discussion and then come back and compare notes in life and see how we're doing because it has to be integrated so we'll be back really soon. Thank you. Thank you very much.
Ooh.